Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And this afternoon, we come together primarily for the purpose of worshiping our triune God. But we also come together to elect officers for this congregation. The Lord's been working here among us, blessing us greatly with an increase over the last year in raising up men for service in Christ's church. And this is something that we ought to praise God for because He is a faithful God and He pours out His blessings upon His people. But we also must remember that everything that we have been blessed with is not because of anything that we've done. This is Christ's church. And we must never forget that. So with that in mind, lend your ear to the reading of God's Word from Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that Thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on, the, on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add a blessing unto it and let us go to him in prayer once again. O oh Lord, we come before Thee once again, trusting that Thou hast prepared this Word for us for this purpose, to feed us, to nourish us, to strengthen us, to cause us to increase. O oh Lord, we ask that Thy Word would go forth with power and that it would never return void. We ask that what is proclaimed this day it would be, not be in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but would be in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. O oh Lord, we ask that Thy sheep would be fed by Thy everlasting Word. Let us take comfort in this passage that Christ Jesus is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, comfort us in this truth, and bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Who do you say the Son of Man is? This is a question which each and every one of you must answer personally. And how you answer this question will determine whether or not you be of Christ. This is the greatest question there is. And many throughout history have given their answer to it. Some being sound and orthodox answers, while others having descended into heresy. Here in our passage this afternoon, Christ Jesus asked His disciples this very question. And it's the answer given to this question which provides us with the entire basis of our faith. This is what we here at Westminster are built upon. As we anticipate the election of officers here in this congregation, we must keep this passage in mind. There are too many churches which have sought to build their own kingdom seeking to make a name great for themselves. There are celebrity pastors who've turned the work of gospel ministry into a get-rich-quick scheme, forsaking the true gospel of Jesus Christ for a false one which tickles the itching ears of those in the congregation. There are those who have a false sense of superiority being content with being small, quote-unquote, faithful remnants who are the only quote-unquote true and pure churches. They think that they can build the church by their own power and by shunning those who they see as less than. But when we look at Scripture, these things are not what we see building the kingdom of God in this world. The mere efforts of man can never do such a mighty work as building the church. There's only one person who can do that. And that is the God-man Christ Jesus Himself. It is Christ who builds His church. And we must remember that else we fall into the snare of the devil and the Lord removes our candlestick. This afternoon, we'll consider this theme that Christ builds His church. And we'll do so by looking at three elements from here in our text. First, the great confession. Next, the firm foundation. And finally, the right administration. So let us first consider the great confession. Christ Jesus poses this simple question to His disciples. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He's looking to see what the people who've experienced His ministry believe about Him. Of course, He already knows these things, but He asks in order to make a point. This is a test of His ministry to see how it's been received. And the answer which the disciples give is an interesting one. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. 
There are those who believe that he was John the Baptist who had been resurrected from the dead. We read that this is the case even from Herod the Tetrarch in Matthew 14 and verses 1 and 2. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. The people knew that John the Baptist was a prophet who had done many wondrous things, preaching the way of salvation. And so they connected Christ to this work. But they were wrong. Some believed that He was Elijah, which was uh, promised that the, by the Lord to come once again in Malachi chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. But Christ was not the Elijah to come. But instead, John the Baptist was. As it is written in Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to His temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, He shall come, said the Lord of hosts. The Elijah to come was to prepare the way for the Messiah, not be the Messiah Himself. And Christ affirms this in Matthew 17 that Elijah that the Elijah to come was John the Baptist. Others claim that he was Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who mourned over the state of Israel and longed to see the people of God come unto repentance. And still others believe that he was one of the other prophets, for the Lord had raised up many in the Old Covenant uh, time in order to call people, uh, the people of God out of their sins and back unto Him. But none of these answers were correct. It's important to note here that the people were attempting to make sense of what they were witnessing from the ministry of Christ from a biblical perspective. They were searching the Scriptures to see what these things meant. And they were formulating their understanding based on these things. But friends, even if you search the Scriptures, even if you search them diligently and seek to understand what's happening from a biblical perspective, if you come to the wrong conclusion, then it is a great error. The understanding that the people had come to, whether it be John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or some other prophet, would never be an understanding which leads to salvation. Even the most well-intentioned errors concerning who Christ Jesus is will stand condemned before the judgment seat of Jehovah. You must be vigilant so as to not fall prey to the lies and 
misunderstandings of the world concerning who the Son of Man is. Our world has many answers to this question, with some believing that He was a great teacher, others claiming that He was a great prophet, and still others saying that He was a false teacher and a blasphemer. The moralists are those who fall into the first category believing that He was a great teacher. The Mohammedans are those that fall into the second category claiming that He was a great prophet. And the Jews are those who fall into the third category saying that He is a false teacher and a blasphemer. Friends, every one of these false understandings of Christ will lead you straight to hell. You must be careful not to be enticed by the innovation of the world, but instead cling to the true Christ as He is revealed in the Word. So who is the Son of Man? All these answers given by the disciples of of who people say He is fall short. So Christ turns the question to His disciples to hear what their answer is. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the great confession of the Christian faith. He is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah which was prophesied of old. He is more than John the Baptist who was a forerunner to the Messiah. He was more than Elijah, the foreteller of the Messiah to come. He was more than Jeremiah, the watcher and the one who waited on the Messiah. He is the one toward whom they all looked. Calvin writes, the confession is short, but it embraces all that is contained in our salvation. For the designation Christ or anointed includes both an everlasting kingdom and an everlasting priesthood to reconcile us to God and by expiating our sins through His sacrifice to obtain for us a perfect righteousness and having received us under His protection, to uphold and supply and enrich us with every description of blessings. Friends, this is a question which every one of you here today ought to be frequently putting to yourselves. Who do you say that the Lord Jesus is? Who is He to you? Is He precious to you? Is He in your eyes the chief of ten thousands? Is He the beloved of your soul? Do you understand that He is the Messiah, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world? No other answer than that which Peter gave will suffice for any other would fall far short 
of who Jesus really is. Can you confess today that great confession that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God? If not, then today is the day for you to make the great confession as well. Turning from your sins and turning unto Christ Jesus, trusting in Him as your Savior and Lord. Do not waste another moment with a false understanding of who He is. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And Christ's response to this great confession made by Peter gives us the firm foundation upon which the church is built. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Note that the great confession is not one which can come from an under uh, that a man can come to from an understanding on his own. It's one which Jehovah Himself must reveal to His people. This is a revelation of heaven. So many have attempted to come up with their own answers and have fallen short because they've not been given the knowledge and the wisdom that's required to understand it. Knowledge and wisdom which comes only from God. Proverbs 2.6 makes this clear. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of His mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. And with this knowledge and wisdom comes a great blessing. The Lord says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. It's from the Lord which all blessings flow. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If you are in Christ, if you have made this great confession, then you have been greatly blessed with every spiritual blessing. What is there in this life which is greater than to receive the blessing of the Lord? There's nothing. For it is the height of your reward in Christ. Oh, that Christ would look upon you all and call you blessed for you are found in Him and you have been given such knowledge and wisdom as comes from above. Christ goes on to say, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's important for us to realize what Christ is saying here. He's not saying that Peter is the one upon whom uh, Christ builds His church. But instead, that great confession 
that he made is that which is built upon. Peter is but a representative of the disciples in his confession. But it is the confession of the church that is made, not simply Peter's own confession. The synagogue of Satan, the papist church, has built their false doctrine of the papacy upon a false understanding of this passage. And we must be sure not to fall into such wicked deception from the Antichrist. To speak of an erring, fallible child of Adam as the, as the foundation of the spiritual temple is very unlike the ordinary language of Scripture. G. Campbell Morgan is helpful in understanding this. If we trace the figurative use of the word rock through the Hebrew Scriptures, we find that it is never used symbolically of man, but always of God. Christ is making a play on words with Peter's name, which means a stone. He's saying that the sure and steady confession that was made by the stone points to the rock upon which the church is built. And that rock is Christ. It is by the doctrine which the disciples preached, which is here summarized in the great confession of Peter, that the firm foundation of the church is laid. God has always had a church and it has always been built upon the rock of the promised seed of the woman. This is seen in the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. And it's confirmed in the New Testament in 1 Peter 2, verses 5 and 6. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. And it's seen as well in 1 Corinthians 3.11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ is the firm foundation upon which the church is built, and He is the one who builds His church. Friends, let us never forget this important truth. If we lose sight of this, if we, if we begin to take matters into our own hands, thinking that we can build the church here in this place, if we take away the faith and confession of this truth, then we will cease to be part of Christ's church and we will be snuffed out. But friends, if we remain faithful, 
If we never lose sight of this great confession, this rock upon which the church is built, then we can rest in the great promise that is given here in our passage. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is a victory over the evil one which we can be sure of. That we can have confidence in because the Lord Himself has promised it. Consider 1 John 5 and verses 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Calvin comments, against all the power of Satan, the firmness of the church will prove to be invincible. Because the truth of God on on which the faith of the church rests will ever remain unshaken. Friends, what an encouraging and hopeful promise this is that we have been given. But friends, you must also remember that the church which Christ is building is one which is promised to uh, is promised to prevail against the wiles of the evil one. That that church is not just one particular local congregation, and it's not even one particular denomination. It is the church universal that Christ is building. Matthew Henry helps make this point. This body politic is incorporated by the style and title of Christ's church. It is a number of the children of men called out of the world and set apart from it and dedicated to Christ. It is not thy church, but mine. Peter remembered this when he cautioned ministers not to lord it over God's heritage. The church is Christ's particular appropriated uh, is Christ's peculiar appropriated to him and the world is God's and they that dwell therein but the church is a chosen remnant that stands in relation to God through Christ as mediator it bears his, it bears his image and superscription friends let us be thankful that Christ is building his church And that no matter what may come our way, no matter the persecution or threatening of the evil one, the church of Christ will stand forever. It's built upon the firm foundation. That rock of our salvation. And the wind and the waves of this world will never cause it to fall. Christ goes on to not simply uh, lay the foundation for the church which He is building, but also to give unto it the right administration. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Here Christ is investing all of the apostles and their successors who who are the elders of the New Testament church with a ministerial power 
to guide and to govern the church of Christ as it exists in particular congregations or churches according to the rule of the Gospel. And we know this authority is given to all the apostles and not just to Peter because of what we see in John chapter 20 and verses 22 and 23. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. It's given to all of the, all of the apostles. This is that ministerial authority to rightly administer the ordinances of the church. And these ordinances here in our passage are summed up in the keys of the kingdom. There are two keys of the kingdom. The first key is the key of knowledge spoken of in Luke 11.52 which the Pharisees had taken away from the people removing the true Gospel given under the shadows of the Old Covenant and replacing it with the traditions of men. This key is the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And the second key is the key of the house of David. Spoken of in Isaiah 22, verses 21 and 22. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle and I will commit thy government into his hand and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. And we see it as well in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy and he that is true. He that hath the key of David. He that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. This is the key of government and discipline in the church. And Christ says that these keys which belong to Christ Jesus alone, but are delegated to the officers of the church, He says that, they, that in these keys they have the authority to bind and to loose, to shut and to open. Now this doesn't mean that the church has the infallible authority to grant entrance into the kingdom of God or to shut out men from the kingdom. We must be careful not to believe that popish lie that says man has such authority. So what does it mean? Well, The Heidelberg Catechism is helpful in understanding this. The answers to questions 84 and 85, in the questions to answers 84 and 85, we read Thus, when according to the command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And on the contrary, when it is declared and testified to all unbelievers and such as do not sincerely repent, that they stand exposed to the wrath of God 
and eternal condemnation so long as they are unconverted. According to the testimony of the Gospel, God will judge them both in this and in the life to come. Thus, when according to the command of Christ, those who under the name of Christians maintain doctrines or practices inconsistent therewith and will not, after having been often brotherly admonished, renounce their errors and wicked courses of life, are complained of to the church or to those who thereunto who are thereunto appointed by the church, and if they despise their admonition, are by them forbidden, forbidden to the use of the sacraments, whereby they are excluded from the Christian church, and by God Himself from the kingdom of Christ. And when they promise and show real amendment, are again received as members of Christ and His church. Friends, this authority, the keys of the kingdom, are thus given to all ordinary ministers. To those who rule in the house of God, and it contains within them that which is necessary for the right administration of Christ's church. Praise God that He did not leave us to figure these things out on our own. But He's given us such instruction as this. When the church does these things, when we proclaim uh, the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and when we govern according to His precepts, when we declare the whole counsel of God, and when we rule accordingly, we use these keys well. Brothers and sisters, may we be ever thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ is the One who is building His church. Let us rejoice in the work that He is doing here among us, recognizing that every blessing which we have experienced is not of our own doing, but it is a gift of God. Let us trust in Him to continue to build His church, of which we are but one small branch. And let us trust Him as He does so even here among us in this place. So as we come to the time to elect officers for this congregation, let this be in the forefront of your minds that we are not building a name for ourselves, nor are we building a kingdom of our own doing, but we are called simply to be living stones in the house of God which is being built upon that chief cornerstone, who is Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are thankful that Thou art building Thy church that it's not left in the hands of sinful man, but it's left in the capable and competent hands of the Son of Man. The Son of Man who is Christ Jesus. The Son of Man who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. O Lord, let us never lose sight of that great confession. And if we ever do, 
O Lord, remove our candlestick. For we would be unworthy to even claim the title of church. Lord, thou dost not need Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church. But Lord, we need thee. We ask, Lord, that thou wouldst use us to build the kingdom of God here in this place, calling sinners unto repentance, calling men to faith in Christ Jesus, seeing the gospel go forth, seeing souls saved. O Lord, use us to that end. And Lord, use this election and electing officers within this congregation towards that end. O Lord, we trust Thee, we thank Thee, and we praise Thee. We ask these things in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord, who is the King and Head of this church. Amen.